Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northern Wind Fantasy Podcast. We're the Three Rivers Boys. I'm Zach. I'm Jake. And I'm Steve. And we're here today to do the first half of our discussion on Stephen King's The Drawing of the Three. That's the second book in the Dark Tower series. Uh, we just finished this one up a little bit ago, so or Steve did anyhow. Jake and I have read it in the past. In the past, not the future. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I went right into The Drawing of Three uh, after I read The Gunslinger, and I like this book a lot. Uh, I thought it was more of an adventure than the first book. Uh, I didn't walk away from this book feeling like my life had changed or anything like that, but uh, overall, a good story, and it was fun. Yeah, I guess I should mention I didn't do the spoiler warning. So this is uh, spoiler-free for the first couple of minutes here, and then we'll get into full book spoilers after we finish our overall review. Yeah, I really like this book. Uh, every time I've read The Dark Tower, I guess this is my third time now, if you count like skimming through the books to write these outlines. <laughs> so... Every time I go through this story, I feel like this book is like not my favorite. Like it's pretty low in my rankings, I think. But then I always like really enjoy it. Like every time I actually interact with it. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear you say that. I I think this book is so fun, man. Yeah, just the, some of the other books are just like a lot better. I think is my point. <laughs> I think that's what it is, though. It's just like a fun book. I I didn't like. You know, after I read some books, I'm like, wow, like I have to tell people about this and, and like, and tell people about like different ideas I've had. But like, there was, there's no, no theories I have. There's, uh, I'm not like running Melissa's ear off or anybody at work's ear off about this book. But yeah, I mean, there, there was at no point where I was like, oh, this is boring. I want to put this down and read something else. But yeah, it's really okay. well written. It's just not a very gripping plot, I think, is what we're trying to say. Like it doesn't have these huge worldly consequences you're looking for. Yeah. And we kind of like don't really know like what the goal of the book is, I guess, just to like keep walking down the beach until you get all three doors. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah, I I would say that maybe fell a little flat for me was the points or the plot of the book. Like they do reveal it at the end. And I was just like, okay, like that makes sense. Sure, let's continue. Instead of being like, what? What? I wasn't expecting that. Like it, it just, but but that's fine. Like I don't want it to bring down the overall rating of the book or anything. But. Yeah, this book is like a nine point five out of ten, probably if you go by uh, characters, uh, dialogue, world building. Like all those things are pretty much maxed out. But plot for me is like maybe a seven and a half out of ten. Yeah, I was even going to say a six and a half out of ten. Just it's nothing over the top. But you know, I, I'm also like probably spoiled here. Like uh, I definitely read a lot of hits. You know, I'm not reading uh, too many forgettable books. So yeah, I'll agree with the plot criticism because really the only plot air quotes that happens is we meet some new characters that become part of our band. But if you're talking about like plot, as far as getting closer to the dark tower, we are about zero steps closer to the dark tower 
than we were. Yeah, maybe even a, this, but... a step back. <laughs> yeah. This is like a Carol Shelby designed four door to sedan. But I think, um, <laughs> is that supposed to mean it's solid, but boring or like, something? Yeah, I guess it's like amazingly crafted, but it just doesn't do a lot to excite you. And so maybe that's why we like it so much on our rereads is because we're just like soaking in the weirdness and enjoying meeting these characters. And like the first time I, I do remember feeling frustrated the first time that we didn't really get anywhere. Like if, if I was reading these, and we talk about this a lot. If you're reading these books as they come out, these ones that fall a little flatter to me, I'm reading these all in a row, basically and binging them. Uh, I don't mind it as much because I start the next book five minutes later. Where yeah. if you have to wait a couple years for one of these, it's you're gonna get a little upset. Yeah, I mean, and I don't since this technically is a spoiler, I won't go into specifics, but basically the character Roland is neutered at the beginning, or like something bad happens, and the whole book is basically him trying to like get back to, to where he was. Yeah, recovering. So and that's I think why we think like, oh, this isn't really a step towards the Dark Tower. And right. yeah, which which is fine. Like this is actually more realistic than like any other fantasy novel I've ever read. Like like he has to some a consequence happens. Major uh, setback. Yeah. And then he yeah. has to adjust. And it's it's yeah, a painful it, it, time doing it. Even on my reread this sat really rough with me that Roland gets nerfed in the first, <laughs> yeah. Is it the first chapter? It's the first couple oh, chapters. Well, let's try not to get into too much detail with that yet. We're still in the no spoiler, part. but but it is frustrating because it's not something that happens very often for your main character, your big tough guy, to just get like completely Fucked. cut down and be weakened. <laughs> yeah, he's. He's very dependent, this whole book. Yeah. But also still really badass. He is, yeah. Uh, In a lot of other ways. Let me look this up here. Who read the book? Which I think is a great device to highlight Roland's other attributes. You know, he's not just like an offensive force of murder, you know. He's Uh, a a smart guy. He's good at making a plan. He's maybe not like the liveliest guy, but he's a fucking boulder rolling downhill, man. He's just going to keep going. Yeah, I mean, he's Trig. No doubt about it. Yeah. And so Frank Muller was the narrator for this audio book. I listened to it. Uh, Was he the narrator for the first book? I believe so. Yeah, I thought it was like kind of a drastic change in the way he sound, but I, I loved his his reading and I think he really made it so I was able to differentiate between characters speaking. Uh, yeah. There is a lot of dialect. He's so. a really good narrator. I think he actually passes away like before the end of this series. Yeah. So it's sad that he doesn't get he to do the them. whole thing because I really loved his narration the entire time. I think he was actually like friends with Stephen King, right? Isn't there a point in the audiobook somewhere, Jake? Did you read? Did you listen to the audiobooks? 
Yeah, King has a little excerpt at the beginning of the first book that he doesn't narrate and explains that he passed away. And yeah, it was really sad. I think actually. he died in a motorcycle accident. Damn. Yeah. Rough. But you know, that's the Stephen kind King of King got uh, hit by a car too, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Man, these and guys in Maine. Uh yeah. Let's uh do you wanna on that depressing note <laughs> change to the spoiler section? Yeah, let's get into the book. Okay. Uh, this is your spoiler warning. We're going to go into full book spoilers for both the drawing of the three, this book, and the previous book, The Gunslinger. So if for some reason you started with this book, why would you do that? But don't listen to this. <laughs> yeah, you know, some people like to read the the, the abridged versions. and Yeah, I do actually. know like, some people just like pick up books with cool covers that they find in like free libraries and start reading them. So like I've heard of people on the internet that have started like Wheel of Time like four or five books in. Yeah, like <laughs> why? This just because cool. that's the book that they know. found first. I don't know. <laughs> like I get the only reason I can see me doing that is if I was like in jail or something. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. <laughs> these are the only books. Like, all right, give me it. <laughs> I I think uh, I, I will point out that I, I wasn't like excited to move on to the next Stephen King book uh, in this series. Like, I wasn't like, yeah, I gotta go pick that up. But because uh, the I'm next actually, one is probably. Maybe my favorite or second nice. favorite, at least in the whole series. Hell yeah. I'm actually reading. It's uh, a lot of fun. Wave Kings. And it's amazing. Yeah. Wave Kings is like fucking great, dude. I need to get a leather. Belt yeah. Wave wow. They're like $200. Though. Oh, wow. I just Wait. finished part one. So. Uh, wave Kings is an amazing book. We're getting away from the top. All right, guys, Wave Kings, go get it. But anyways, we're going to get into the spoilers of the drawing of three. So it opens up Send us with, a leather-bound Wave Kings. Yeah. <laughs> three we'll of them, read it too. Yeah. Uh, so the first part is called The Prisoner. If you remember back at towards the end of the first book, there's that big section with first the Oracle and then the terror reading with the man in black. So the drawing of the three is kind of a reference to like the cards he drew. That's one of the meanings that you can get out of the title. We're going to talk about like a hundred meanings that you can get out of the title. Uh, so we're going to go through some of those foretellings with each of these three doors where Roland is going to draw someone to, I guess, further his quest in some manner. Uh, the first one is the prisoner. So, like I said, we'll go with the Oracle first. Uh, do we want to, one of you guys want to volunteer for these readings we have from the gunslinger? These are both quotes from the first book. I'll do the man in black. All right. I'll so do the I- Oracle then. Uh, oh, sorry. I was just scrolling down towards it. Go ahead. <laughs> So this is what the demon oracle in the circle that Roland had to bang last time said. He said, uh, or she said, The first is young, dark-haired. He stands on the brink of robbery and murder. A demon has infested him. The name of the demon is heroin. The monkey on his back. All right. The man in black. 
The third card was turned. A baboon stood grinningly astride a young man's shoulder. The young man's face was turned up, a grimace of stylized dread and horror on his features. Looking more closely, the gunslinger saw the baboon held a whip. The prisoner, the man in black said. The fire cast uneasy, flickering shadows over the face of the ridden man, making it seem to move and writhe in wordless terror. The gunslinger flicked his eyes away. Cool. Baboon. Is that a real? T- is that a real tarot card? No, uh, they're kind of a mix of real ones and made up ones that Stephen King did. So I think like the tower is real, death is real. The sailor, I think, is real. Katie's going to kill me if I get any of this wrong. <laughs> It'll just be me and Jake next time, guys. <laughs> but yeah, the, pris- a- the, the prisoner and the lady of shadows, I think, are made up. What a descriptive card. I mean, you can really picture that. Yeah. The baboon really freaked me out because it is yeah. on the door, too. I want to get a tattoo of these tarot cards for my like Dark Tower tattoo. That'd be cool. People are like, oh, why is that baboon on you? I'm like, heroin. Heroin. <laughs> the demon is heroin. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. We should laugh at people's addiction. No, I'm not. terrifying if somebody said that to you, though. <laughs> I think it's also clever. Like the monkey on his back, right? He even says that at one point. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's, very, it's very clever. All right. So, uh, Roland has picked up like exactly where we left off at the end of the last book. He kind of walks downhill from where he had his meeting with the man in black and ends up on the beach where he falls asleep and he wakes up and some shit happens. Yeah. Yeah. Crab monsters biting his hand off. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, he goes to sleep and it's low tide, but the tide comes up overnight and with it come the lobstrosities, which are like dog-sized lobsters, kind of. And they say these creepy-ass like words in like, yeah, the tone I, of the I question. Can I do this reading? Yeah, please do. <laughs> Dead a chick? Dead a chum? Dead a chick? Yeah. So talking lobsters. Oh, <laughs> uh, I never thought they were like talking. I thought it was like that a chop, that a chop. Well, it sounds you know, like, like they are. I don't know if they're actually talking. Yeah, that's probably closer to what they actually sound like, Steve. But he he says they sound like insane arguing lawyers. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Roland loses most of the fingers on his shooting hand or his primary shooting hand. He's pretty good with both of them. That's his right, I believe. Mm-hmm. He calls it his smart hand, though. Yeah, his left hand's right. his stupid hand. You're going to be smart from now on. <laughs> he also loses, I think, a couple toes. Yeah, I think uh, his big toe. And the worst thing, really, that happens from this attack is his infection. Like, these wounds, uh, he doesn't have any, like, medical supplies or anything so he just has these open wounds and they end up getting infected and and it almost kills him a bunch of times throughout this book yeah and his shells got wet which seemed to be his major priority at the beginning yeah before he he, was dying (laughs) he is so upset that he let his ammo get wet 
Yeah, they talk about that for a while. Yeah. It's a big deal, you know, he lives and dies by those guns and he like ruined them. Yeah, they're paperweights, not the bullets. And it just shows how meticulous he is because he goes through and he's like, okay, these are probably bad and these ones are definitely bad. And these yeah. ones are the ones I'm going to load in my gun. <laughs> so Roland uh, drags himself down the beach in this like hobbled condition. And finally he finds the first door. I love this imagery of a door just like floating in the air on the beach. It's such like a cool thing to imagine. Yeah, this is probably one of the more wild parts of the book for me. I was like, wait, what the fuck is going on? Like, <laughs> so uh, we have a description of the door here. It's also cool that like this beach is so like big and long and straight that you can like see these doors like a day or two before you can get to them. You're like, right, oh shit, there's a door down there. <laughs> and then you walk for like three days in a row down the beach. So, uh, Jake, do you want to do this one? Yeah. Read this uh, quote here about what these doors look like. It stood six and a half feet high and appeared to be made of solid ironwood. Although the nearest ironwood tree must grow 700 miles or more from here. The doorknob looked as if it were made of gold and it was filigreed with a design which the gunslinger finally recognized. It was the grinning face of the baboon. There was no keyhole in the knob, above it or below it. The door had hinges, but they were fastened to nothing, or so it seemed. Written upon it, in black letters, two-thirds of the way up, written in the high speech, were the words, The Prisoner. You think cool. You could, you think After you reading... that together, Steve? Yeah, of course. Of course. Jake is Jake, Jake definitely read that all at once. Um <laughs> I, I think what's really interesting about these doors after reading the whole book is we don't know how they got there, who put them there. Um I'm hoping maybe we get some sort of hint later. Um, but if not, then uh fucked up world mystery there, you know. That's like uh I kind of appreciate the soft magic system, like some things like mystery is kind of cool, you know, I, I think, uh, I don't know if it's ever like concretely confirmed. There are like hints that he gives you like how this, all this shit works, but Stephen King is not really one for explaining magic. Like, uh, a Brandon Sanderson does, you know, he likes to yeah, leave right. it pretty mysterious. And that makes sense. Not everybody gets to know how magic works. You yeah, know? exactly. Uh, yeah. So, He's checking out this door and he can hear like before he even opens it, he hears like the sound of the plane engine. He's like, what the fuck is that? And then he opens it up and he's, doesn't he like freak the fuck out at first? He's, like he, he screams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause Eddie's right looking away. out of the window. Yeah. Cause Eddie's looking out of the window. Right. So he's looking from 30,000 feet or something. When yeah, so like Roland has obviously never been that out. high in the air before. He thinks he's like falling from heaven or some shit, probably. 
Well, we saw in the last book that he, he was really bothered when the man in black put him up in the sky and like zoomed out and made him look like he was minuscule and nothing. So I think yeah. he might have, it, it kind of like called back to that as like, he was like, oh no, like I'm I thought of that as I was saying. Roland is like not a very imaginative person. So I'm sure like he's not the one who would like look at a hawk up in the sky and be like, I wonder what it's like to be a hawk up there, even though like he did uh, all that hawking, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they even say that in the first book that like he wasn't the smartest. He wasn't the most clever. He wasn't, uh, you know, even the strongest, but because he was like, Good, like good enough at everything. He's like the ultimate gunslinger. Yeah, I think he is very smart. I think that a lot of people uh, don't think that, but he's just not very imaginative. Like if you give him a puzzle to figure out, he'll solve it. But he's not going to be able to like put himself in other people's perspectives or like imagine paint, pic- paint a beautiful picture. Yeah, he's a very pragmatic guy. See, it's funny when you said he would solve a puzzle, but I feel like he would go get somebody else to solve the puzzle <laughs> and then hold a gun to their head and be like, do it. <laughs> well, I mean, he's very good at making plans. We see him like come up with plans and execute them like perfectly all the time throughout the series. Yeah. They're not like fancy, he, tricky plans, but they always like work, you know. <laughs> he is the best shot too. Like, I believe he's the best at, you know, weapons. Nice. Then yeah, so uh, he, he goes back in. And yeah, then he normal. like steals himself, and he's like, "All right, I gotta go check this door out." And we f- meet our first of the three. His name's Eddie, Eddie Dean. He is from New York City in 1987. So this is our first trip into the air quotes real world. And Roland like slowly puts it together that this is some kind of, I think he calls it a sky carriage, right? Yeah. Which is, I mean, like he's totally surprised by it, but he figures all this shit out like pretty quick, dude. He's like, Oh, I'm in like public transportation. Basically this is like a carriage. There's a lady, like a stewardess that's bringing people snacks. Handing out popkins. I'll have a tutor fish. Tuner fish sandwich. <laughs> Did Jake not uh, tell him in the first book about planes? Uh, I don't think so. There is a point where he's like singing a song about uh, like the the rain in Spain falls on the planes, and it like has a stanza where it's like the the planes in Spain fly over the plane or something like that. And he's like, "What kind of plane is that?" That's like the nursery rhyme his mom sings to him. Yeah, exactly. So our boy, uh, Eddie Dean here, he's basically like a college age kid. He's like 21, I think, but he's Mm -hmm. not in college because he's a heroin addict who does jobs for the mob. (laughs) What's up? I said he's a drug mule. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he uh, is basically smuggling drugs back from Central America, I think it is. Do you remember what country it is, Steve? It's been a while since I read it. 
I I don't remember. I think it's like Costa Rica or something, maybe. Uh, But anyhow, he's got like a kilo of coke basically under taped under each armpit, and he's like flying in to go through customs. And he was actually doing pretty well until Roland popped into his mind. I mean, I think he was probably going to be fucked. I don't know. I guess like him acting weird because of Roland, like tipped off the stewardess and they tipped off security to like have him sing it out to be searched. Right. Is that how it goes? Yeah, yeah exactly. His eyes change. Mm-hmm. He's Roland says a bunch of weird shit too, while he's like trying to figure out how things work. Yeah. Her, that stewardess's character is one of my favorite uh, little king side characters. Her like nice. having her terrorist training and yeah, I love how him. much he can like colorize a character and like this character who's only in the book for like maybe a dozen pages is like such a memorable event because he made her so interesting. Yeah, and relatable too, I guess you know. She's and we see her relatable. from different perspectives like we'll, we'll we get an event through her eyes and then they'll show the same event occurring through eddie's eyes yeah it's fun to get like a lot of this shit is like so crazy that stephen king likes to switch over to just an everyman character when some like really wild shit is happening to kind of illustrate how wild this shit is because while you're like caught up in the book, like you're not really thinking about like how crazy this would seem from the outside that like somebody is inhabiting another person's body. <laughs> he did this really well, like in the climax of it, where uh, Katie and I—I I won't give away any uh, like crucial plot details—but there's like a crazy shit is going down in the town. Like while the kids are battling it, or this is the adult version of them are battling it. And he switches to the point of view of this like stoner character who's like walking up to the top of the hill to like roll a joint and get high. He just like watches all this shit go down while he's like trying to protect his weed. <laughs> <laughs> it's really great. Cool. What the Where were fuck? we? Uh, so yeah, I don't know how in depth we want to go for each thing, but. Basically, Roland pops in and Eddie isn't fighting him and taking like from taking over his mind and things like that, but it is causing problems. Yeah, um, I think Eddie is just kind of zoned out. He's like not really all there because he didn't he like snort some heroin in the airplane bathroom like right before this? Uh, during this, uh, because Roland goes back through the door and when he comes back, he like is in the bathroom. Yeah. Um, and that's when the stewardess notices when he comes out of the bathroom, his eyes have changed color. I think when he went in, they were Roland's blue eyes. And when he came out, they were Eddie's green eyes. Uh, but she was like definitely bothered. So she started watching him, uh, which is bad because he has cocaine. Yeah, this was like such a good buildup of tension, too, because you're like rooting for Eddie to not get busted because, you know, like he's important for Roland's quest. Oh, definitely. He makes this like really smart stewardess character who's like totally on his shit. Like, (laughs) yeah. You're like, damn, these people are competent. They're like going to get them. Like, no, they're supposed to be stupid NPCs. I think we also get some backstory for Eddie here. 
as to what's going on. Like we we learn that Eddie and his brother live together. He's like doing this for his brother or for, for the both of them so they can get their fix. Uh, he keeps talking about that. He's like, yeah, I like whenever I give the cocaine, I want my fix. What does um, he call him? The uh, sage and glorious junkie or something? Yeah. I don't remember what something you're talking like about. That. He calls his brother Eddie Dean or uh, what's his brother's name? Henry. He's like Henry, the sage junkie, like he, cause he taught Eddie everything he knows about doing heroin. Mm. He has that speech about going like not cold Turkey, but cool Turkey where you just do like a little bit. <laughs> He's like my pro, my pro junkie brother told me this was the way to go. <laughs> and then I, I like the narrators doing this all in a Brooklyn accent. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty fun to listen to. I really think he nails the Eddie voice. Yeah. It's fantastic. See, th- that's the type of thing that I think is better to read, or I'm sorry, listen to, because when you read something, sure, they tell you at the beginning or when they're introducing a character what his voice sounds like, but they're not going to constantly remind you like, hey, remember, this guy has a dialect, you know? So, yeah. I appreciate that when I listen to books. Some authors get really clever with like the phonetic spellings to clue you in on how their accent works. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. A lot of times they'll kind of help you out. Like it's uh, crucial every time uh, you read a Stephen King book to like do a shot or something. Every time a character says, I up. Yeah. Oh, yep. Don't bury your kid down in the graveyard. Or, yep. <laughs> Across the rod. So, uh, yeah. Uh, moving on. Basically, Eddie would have been totally fucked if Roland wouldn't have had this magic door and he just kind of like takes the cocaine out of the real world and stashes it like on Roland's side of the door on the beach. And I think this is a prime example of how smart Roland is. He figures out, he's like, okay, this is the shit he needs to get rid of. I can bring it through this door. And he does a little experiment to figure out if he can bring something through, right? Yeah, the tutor fish. Uh, then he, you know, he, for him to pick all this up is, is pretty quick, man. Yeah, what does he call it? He's like, he has to go through the customs ritual. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If he does not pass the ritual, they will take him. We also uh, get to see how smart Eddie is. I mean, he has to be in the room with the FBI agents or whatever they are, the the drug oh, agents, yeah. and for hours and hours. And yeah, they definitely work as a team together. Like they they both work very well. Well, Roland yells at him. He's like, "Listen to me." <laughs> He keeps thinking that Eddie has like all the right stuff in him. He's just like wasting it all. You know, he's like, if I slap this fucking kid around like Court did to me, then he could be a gunslinger. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to survive? Yeah. yeah, He gets detained by customs and actually he's not there very long, I think, because they like strip search him and they're like, this guy doesn't have any goddamn drugs. We can't keep him. And that's what makes the uh, mobsters afraid because they're like, oh, he got pinched. And like the mobsters know that he got stopped by customs and went into the room. 
and that he left so quickly. They think that he definitely got busted and is probably like wearing a wire now. Yeah. And, uh, Eddie, I can't remember. I think he realizes people are telling him, but then Roland's like many more people are telling you than you think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but isn't that the, do they go to the mall after I thought he just went, uh, I thought he went back to his apartment. There's one point where they go to a shopping mall and And he loses them. He gets like a Coke and Roland drinks like Pepsi for the first time. And he's like, Oh my God, it's sweet. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, yeah, it's a, it's a Coke. And he has a hot dog and he's like, I don't know. Does he make a joke about it looking like a dick or something? I can't remember. I'm not sure. I might be thinking of something that happens later. So the issue we're having now is that Eddie is uh, relapsing a little bit. Or not relapsing, I'm sorry. Having uh, withdrawals. Withdrawals. He needs needs a fix. fix. And also the mob like knows something is up. So they're like, hey, we got your brother. Uh, we know you got the drugs. Let's come have a talk. Roland's like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so Eddie agrees, despite Roland being not all up on it, that he should go uh, meet Balazar at his restaurant and exchange the drugs for his brother. And... He uh, gets picked up in like a car and taken there. And Roland is just kind of like in the backseat of his brain, like watching all this shit go down. It's a pizza truck. That's right. Yeah. And that's when we first meet this uh, Jack Andalini character. What does he call him? Like tall and ugly or something? Double ugly. Double ugly. That's right. <laughs> well, double ugly Jack Andalini. So this is great. They they strip him, or Balazar makes him strip down naked, basically, and they freaking cavity search him even, huh? Yeah. They spit uh, on their hand and shove it up his ass. Yeah. <laughs> we get a lot of uh, tower imagery, too, while we're, like, in this restaurant. While they introduce Balazar. Yeah, the name of the character, or the, the restaurant is The Leaning Tower, uh, a reference to Leaning Tower Pisa, but also, like, a tower. He's making and, the Tower of Cards. Yeah. And we also see Henry is playing a game where he keeps answering uh, Johnny Cash as the answer. And they're making fun of him because they, they think he's stupid. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Because <laughs> Henry was fucking with him the whole time. Right. Um, so then we get this great Eddie line where he's like, I'm going to go into that bathroom <laughs> and come out with the drugs, but naked. This this is like a great scene with him because they so Andalini I think goes into the bathroom and searches it. Yeah, Balazar's like, "You're fucking crazy, man!" But this is like so crazy that I want to see how it plays out. So go yeah, search, go search that shit. He's intrigued. So they there's no drugs in there, and then Eddie's they let him go in there, but Jack Andalini's coming with him. Uh, and and then Eddie pulls Jack through the door. Into Roland's this other world. world. Yeah, into Roland's world. And then Roland 
smokes this guy, right? Yeah, actually, they like have a brief gunfight, and uh, like Roland has a wet round first, like he has a misfire, and then the second time he like shoots Andalini's gun at the same time that Andalini shoots, and it makes it explode, and just like totally fucks him up. And I got some pretty. This is like. Stephen King is really good at writing disgusting gore. So <laughs> I got some highlights from this scene that we should read. I love it. I'll do the first one. And when you guys want to take the second one, Eddie stared at him stunned. No one would ever misjudge Jack Andalini's caveman face again, because now he had no face where it had been. There was now nothing but a churned mess of raw flesh and the black screaming hole of his mouth. And Eddie turned away just too late to avoid seeing the lobstrosity swarm over Andalini's feet, tearing off his Gucci loafers. With the feet still inside them, of course. Screaming, waving his arms spasmodically before him, Andalini fell forward. The lobstrosity swarmed greedily over him, questioning him anxiously all the while they were eating him alive. Dada chuck, dada chick, dada chum, dada chuck. Crazy. Can you imagine guys. going out like that, like getting your fucking face blown off and then being eaten alive by lobsters? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't have to imagine Stephen King did it for me. Yeah, it was pretty uh, crazy to witness something like that. Something That's else that hap- happened right before this was uh, Andalini was like, is there anywhere in here I should search that I don't know about? And we find out that Balazar is a pedophile. And yeah. that's that's like such a small thing to build. Like it doesn't really matter for the overall novel, but it just makes you like hate Balazar that much more. Like he's a piece of fucking shit, you know? Yeah, you're just like unquestionably like, okay, I want to see this guy die now and I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> so uh, Roland and Eddie come back through the door together and Roland gives Eddie one of his father's guns, which is like a really big statement of trust. Roland's never done that before in his entire life, but he feels caught in this moment in this, uh, Chili's here tonight. I couldn't believe this happened. Yeah. I was shocked to like, he could have kept one on his hip and then just switched to the other one instead of having to reload, you know, but he was like, no, you're going to do it. (laughs) And they just start fucking killing everybody. Yeah, and also at this point, as readers, we know that Henry has overdosed and died. Yeah, that's true. Uh, they gave him like a little bit too much while they were trying to give him a fix, and he died. So Eddie is like really pissed off about that, and Roland's like, what do you want to do about it? And Eddie's like, we're going to go to fucking war. The way they, they cut his brother's head off and like throw it into the room. It happens, that happens like at the, the end of the fight, I think. They killed yeah. like everybody and there's like one guy left and he like uses it as a distraction to try to get the jump on him. That's crazy, man. Yeah. The way like King described Henry's death too was like so matter of fact. Like, you know, a lot of times in books you're like, maybe that person didn't die. Like King was like, and Henry took the fix, the last fix he would ever take. Because he died. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so Eddie's naked fighting in a room full of broken glass. Oh, I forgot he's still naked. Roland is like (laughs) respectful of how good he fights naked. He's He's like, like, not many guys 
That boy can fight yeah. naked. Yeah. Most men w- would cower. <laughs> yeah, so uh, they kill everybody with the help of that one idiot that brings the automatic uh, AR. <laughs> yeah. Just like shoots everybody when he loses control. That's another fun rolling thought is that this guy's stupid for having an automatic. I don't even course. think they tell it through Roland's perspective. They just say, and what happens when people use an automatic rifle is like, it's almost like a, a third party narration. Oh, is it? I think so. Cause like, I don't know if Roland knows what automatic weapons are. Oh, yeah, he does. He's seen them before. Yeah. Oh, he has? Okay. Um, I can't remember. I was like, why don't they take guns with them? But they do take antibiotics. And Roland has to basically convince him. He's like, you can stay with the the sirens or you can come with me. And like, he's holding his brother's head and like, which is like, fucking Christ, man, this is tough. Right? Like, <laughs> what did he wow. say? He's like, throw away that piece of rotten meat. <laughs> Let's get through that door. <laughs> oh, does he? Oh my God. <laughs> he does say that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I mean, it's not his brother anymore. Love this guy. Man, Roland's just so factual. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what do you say to that? I like this. uh, We pulled this little quote up of Eddie's like, what's going to happen if I go through that door? And Roland's like, probably death. But before that happens, I don't think you'll be bored. That's how I feel about Roland's life. (laughs) <laughs> let's go yeah everything is just like so brutal in Roland's world he's like yeah I'm almost, I'm absolutely gonna die in a gunfight at some point but you know just gotta keep trucking you gotta get to those gunfights <laughs> <laughs> so I think at this point I was having a little bit of trouble with Eddie because I don't know if it was the narrator because he's obviously older than 21 um, but like I just couldn't picture a 21 year old really being in this situation, but you know, it's a book. So yeah. Does that make you like, does that make sense? I mean like this, he's a child. I mean, I guess like he's been taking care of his brother, but most of the people in the armory are, uh, or any of the armed forces are 18 to 21. Yeah. But they don't hold their brother's severed head. And some of them hold somebody's severed head. Yeah, but then they don't go through a magical doorway. I don't know, but it, it yeah, just I like mean, he very much is like freaking out. I think too. True, he is, and he's uh, not even in full withdrawals yet. Yeah. So yeah, they uh, wind up on the beach together, and we get the first of these uh, shuffle segments. So we're keeping with the drawing cards theme. And I thought this was cool how we get like Roland's point of view as he's like fading in and out of consciousness of Eddie like feeding him and taking care of him so he doesn't die. Slowly giving him these uh, antibiotics. This is making us like Eddie a little more. Eddie's definitely a... Killing lobsters. Yeah. Eating lobsters, cooking lobsters. (laughs) (laughs) That never lobsters, lobsters, lobsters. 
This is a very uh, main thing for Stephen King to do. He's like, all this goddamn fucking lobster, I can't stand it. <laughs> I never even thought about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. He's in Maine, so he's probably like sick of it. Or sick of hearing about it, at least. So at this point, Eddie is kind of regretting his decision to come through the door with Roland. It was kind of like a spur of the moment under duress decision. And he's like, maybe I done fucked up. He, we also, uh, he's like very bitter with Roland this whole time. He's like, man, fuck you for dragging me through that door. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing for Eddie back in that world. So. Yeah, there, he would have been arrested and like taken to jail for murder. <laughs> and also had the opportunity to get more heroin. Yeah. Even if he like got free somehow, he probably would have died of an overdose like his brother eventually. Oh yeah, definitely. But he is also like going through withdrawal, so we kind of get the uh picture that Maybe he's not really like meaning all of this terrible things that he's saying to Roland. It might just be him being fucking mad because he doesn't have any heroin. Hmm. So he's, he's like taking care of Roland. He's feeding him lobster. He's giving him the antibiotics and eventually Roland starts to come to, to the point where him and Eddie can talk. And Eddie kind of admits that, like, he had some dark moments back there where he thought about taking one of Roland's guns and just, like, blowing his brains out. But he couldn't do it because he knew how much Roland needed him to survive. So I think that says a lot about Eddie's uh, character where he... uh, like, Steve, you said that maybe he took this too well, but I think, like, we just don't really get his perspective. Like, clearly he went through some, like, really dark shit while Roland was, like, not conscious to observe it. hmm So, but he can't, like, go through with it because he says later, like, he needs to be needed. Like, I have this big quote here, so we'll get to that. These conversations that Eddie and Roland have at this point, I think, were like some of the best writing that Stephen King has done. Like, I would say all of the conversations between Eddie and Roland are my favorite parts of the book. Like, they just they there's like probably three or four long back and forth conversations where they're like kind of arguing with each other, but also trying to convince one another. Um, and I thought those were some of the best moments. Yeah. So this is a pretty long reading that I have here that I selected like probably my favorite part of that first long argument that they have really. Uh, do you guys want to split this up? I could do Maybe the whole thing. One per- yeah, you just want to do the whole thing? Sure. Go for it. And this is Eddie speaking. right? Yeah, this is Eddie uh, explaining how he is kind of like a dependent personality and Roland is not. <laughs> All right. There are people who need people to need them. The reason you don't understand is because you're not one of those people. You'd use me and then toss me away like a paper bag if that's what it came down to. God fucked you, my friend. You're just smart enough so it would hurt you to do that. And just hard enough so you'd go ahead and do it anyway. You wouldn't be able to help yourself. If I was lying on the beach there and screaming for help, You'd walk over me if I was between you and your goddamn tower. 
Isn't that pretty close to the truth? Roland says nothing, only watches Eddie. But not everyone is like that. There are people who need people to need them. Like the Barbara Streisand song, corny but true. It's just another way of being hooked through the bag. Eddie gazes at him. But when it comes to that, you're clean, aren't you? Roland watched him. Except for your tower, Eddie utters a short laugh. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Which war was it? Roland whispers. What? The one where you got your sense of nobility and purpose shot off. I love that. Yeah, I love Roland. Dude. That's a reference back to a joke Eddie made earlier where he said Roland must have had his sense of humor shot off in some war. <laughs> and Eddie reacts to that like he got slapped in the face. He's like, fuck, I need to get my shit together. He's right. That and it shows that Roland does listen to him. Yeah. Like he's not some asshole like he just described like a robot who like yeah Roland does use people but like he is still listening to Eddie yeah so uh, Eddie at this point I think shares his like childhood history basically of how he grew up with his brother and his brother like went off to Vietnam and came back uh, addicted to morphine and eventually transitioned to heroin. And because Eddie loves his big brother so much, he ended up getting into it with him. And uh, his mom was always like guilt tripping him, saying, Me and your brother sacrificed so much for you, Eddie. Yeah, that was fucked. Yeah, it sounds like he had a really terrible family relationship. Just manipulative people. Yeah. Like, his, you can tell his big brother, like, really does care about him, but he just, like, uses him kind of like how Roland does. <laughs> There's a lot of similarities, I think, between Henry and Roland. I mean, it's a pretty textbook abusive relationship. You know, he does things to keep Eddie around to show that he loves him. Yeah, so does Roland. <laughs> so that, but he he does those nice things, so he can use him again to get to the tower to get heroin. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, well, we're looking down the beach here. Yeah, and Roland's infection is like pretty much what I thought was gone, but. His symptoms have definitely disappeared. The the Aston is working pretty good, right? Did he get some antibiotics here too? What, yeah. what did we steal out of Balazar's medicine cabinet? Keflex. Keflex, yeah, that's it. I don't know what that is. Is that a real thing? I'm not sure. Uh, he says it's some kind of antibiotic made out of what's the penicillin, I think, based is what he says. Okay. So, uh, Roland wants to go through this door. He needs more antibiotics. Like the infection is starting to come back. I think at this point, right? Uh, um, Eddie is. Does it? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Uh, this is one of those like 
half closed things. There's a real antibiotic called Keflex. K E F F L E X. I think that's how it's spelled in the book. Yeah, I think that's what they say. Okay. I thought it was more like Calfax or something. It was a little <laughs> off. Roland probably like says it pronounces wrong. it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's like, is the Carfax? Show me the Carfax. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Show me the Carfax. So Eddie's like, yeah, let me come through with you. All I want is like some fried chicken and a cheeseburger, man. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> and then he changes it to, I think he says, I want a coconut and fried chicken. And then at like the second door, we're at the second door now, right? Yeah. And yeah. a couple sentences later, he says, all I wanted was a cheeseburger. And Roland's like, you changed what you wanted. Like he says, like, I thought you wanted fried chicken. And uh, you don't really have much written here uh, in the outline about it, but this was one of my f- favorite conversations where Eddie is holding a knife to uh, Roland's neck and it's a sharp ass knife. And he's basically saying, if you go in there, I'm going to slit your throat. Um, and Roland kind of I don't know if we mentioned that, that mechanic. Uh, when Roland sends his mind through the door, his body just kind of collapses helpless on the beach in front of the door. So his body is totally vulnerable while he's gone and that he's threatening to just like cut his throat while he's like that. Not cool, Eddie. And Roland believes him. He's like, damn, he's like, he's, might be serious, but I don't really have a choice to wait to see. He's basically just like, do it, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then we get a different perspective of somebody in a Macy's or in a wheelchair, right? Yeah, I think uh, they open the door and watch it together a little bit before Roland goes in. And they have this cool thing where like Roland is really weirded out by the fact that the point of view isn't like swaying back and forth. Like it's walking as it moves. And uh, Eddie isn't bothered by it because he's like seen movies that are shot with Steadicam. Like the hallway scenes in The Shining, they say. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Interesting. So we have Stephen King referencing his own work. Uh, but it's cool that he picks up on that. And that's the first hint that, uh, this lady is in a wheelchair, I guess. Yeah. So let's talk about the foretellings here. The Oracle says the second she comes on wheels, I see no more. So yeah, obviously the wheelchair, uh, the man in black part, we get a woman with a shawl over her head set spinning at a wheel. To the gunslinger's dazed eyes, she appeared to be smiling craftily and sobbing at the same time. The Lady of Shadows, the man in black remarked. Does she look two-faced to you, gunslinger? She is. Two faces, at least. She broke the blue plate. What do you mean? I don't know. And in this case, at least, the gunslinger thought his adversary was telling the truth. Odetta Walker, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Or Detta, depending on who you're talking to. Or, or Susanna, depending Detta on is a, which part of the book you're in. <laughs> yeah. Detta is a tough cookie, man. She is yeah. like, 
I was like, wow, you are a great antagonist. <laughs> You're a mean lady. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not sure if I should feel turned on right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. So, uh, the Lady of Shadows is from 1963, New York City. We can judge this because the first chapter or first point of view we get from her, she is listening to a radio report about JFK's death. Uh, she's a wealthy dental heiress. Her father invented this, like, I can't remember what it is. Isn't it like a, a drill bit or something like a dental drill? Something like that. I thought this was cool. The dental heiress thing. I don't know why I like that. <laughs> it's like a unique thing to be rich rich from that I would not have like imagined on my own, I guess. Like I was like, oh, yeah. I guess somebody probably is rich for inventing that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that the point too was that her father invented that during really tough times in America. And Especially rich for people of color, yeah. Yeah. So she is a prominent civil rights activist. Uh, we keep getting references to Oxford Town through her point of view, like w- the later events in the book when she's like having a tough time remembering like th- these holes in her memory. She's like, maybe somebody in Oxford Town like knocked me over the head with an axe handle or a billy club. But this is like a, this is a real historical event. If you don't know, uh, it's based on some a riot that happened in 1962 when James Meredith was the first black student to enroll at Ole Miss University. Uh, they weren't going to let him in, and Robert Kennedy ended up sending in like the feds and troops to force them in. The National Guard. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, National Guard State. It would be the Army Reserve, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but then, like, as soon as all the troops left, like, a riot started. (laughs) But uh, Odetta Walker was, like, prominent in that, in uh, Stephen King's version of history, and... She got the cover of Time Magazine and everything for being such a prominent activist. So she's like a pretty big deal, I guess. She's very famous. She's also missing both her lower legs, which we learn happened in a subway accident. Yeah, she's been pretty unlucky in her life. She's had a brick dropped on her head when she was little. And then somebody pushed her in front of a subway train, which chopped her legs off. (laughs) Yeah, and all this trauma has kind of forced her to have multiple personality disorder. I think the brick is what started it. Yeah, that's how I took it too, that that caused her, you know, mental pain and that the train was the physical manifestation. Yeah. I think that's probably pretty accurate. And this was crazy to find out. Two just freaking brutal events to happen to somebody, huh? Oh, yeah. 
So these two uh, personalities, the first one is Odetta. That's her like real personality, I guess you would say. It's her given name. Yeah. I think that's like basically who she was before all the traumatic shit happened. Uh, but she's the social activist. She's sweet, intelligent, uh, easygoing, nice to get along with. And then we have Detta, who is basically like a racist caricature who hates everybody and just like compulsively steals worthless shit. <laughs> and we also learn like likes to assault like white guys at bars at late at night. Hmm. Yeah, she's just vile. She's really she uses the vilest language she's and nasty. she spits her words at people and yeah, she's, she's always talking too. about like poop or pee or genitals or like yeah. <laughs> or racial slurs. So yeah, many racial vulgar. slurs. She like never says a single pleasant word. So untrusting, which makes sense. Which is like the defense mechanism from what she was created, like Odetta has been abused essentially throughout life. And this, yeah. And Odetta, combined with like the racial, uh, tones of society and like, the, she was kind of like targeted for being black. Don't we get that later? Like the, in the third part, the busher. Yeah. Doesn't I don't think like- so. I thought it was kind of random that he chose to drop the brick on her. Okay. Everybody well, just kind of that, assumes like, that it is, though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, um, I kind of always thought like, that Detta was like Detta is a super like racist caricature because that's like Odetta's like internalized racism, where she's like spending her whole life trying not to be those things, so she doesn't like fulfill this racist yeah. stereotype that people have about her. That's that she, definitely like, what happened. Turns it into her alternate personality. I just, I thought you were saying, I guess that Mort hit Odetta on purpose because she was a person of color. Like, uh, is that what you're trying I to think, say? I don't know if that is true or not. I, I don't think it is. I haven't yeah, reviewed that part of the think, book yet. I think Mort's like just too crazy to care about race. He's I think a, there might be a point where Odetta like assumes that's why it happened to her, but I think when you get Mort's POV, you find out that it's just random. Well, it set up the brick thing because they were denied a taxi. And they were like, oh, that's probably because we're black. And then they were moving down the street. And then the brick Like, lots of really racist stuff happens to her. There's that scene where she's in the prison cell and they make her, you know, wet herself. So it wasn't like... Because they won't let her use the bathroom. It wasn't like a personal attack of racism, but it was more just like systemic racism that allowed her to be targeted. That sure, and okay. uh, Mort is just a psycho. So, yeah, hundred percent psycho. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you want to talk any more about like the stories that's leading up because, like, what we do is we get some background after uh, Roland goes into her mind yeah. because he's like, "I got to save her from this situation," and whenever Roland goes in, it cuts to a lot of backstory for for Odetta so that yeah. we can understand who this person is. And whenever we get back to Roland, we find out that when he went into her mind, it was not easy 
easier or whatever, like he when he went into Eddie's brain, when he went into Odetta's, he was like, what the fuck is that? It tried to throw him out. Like it she resisted. fighting him instantly. Yeah, like it expected him. Like her mind expected him. Expect- That's interesting. Expected an intruder. And he, he like didn't understand why. But we as a reader have figured out that it's her like multiple personality disorder. She's used to like one of the other personalities assuming control. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, the flashback we get is the night of the accident in the subway. Well, not accident, I guess, but the night that she loses her legs in the subway. And we get this from the point of view of the uh, doctor in the ambulance that picks her up. Oh, that's right. This is another really cool uh, side character that King comes up with to like help illustrate the craziness of the stuff that's happening. And I think Get it's him. from a future perspective, too. Like, he's like, yeah, I remember that back in the day when I picked up that woman. Yeah. And he's like, uh, I got, I went to like a super brutal accident at the airport and it was like dozens of people like mutilated and it didn't fuck me up as bad as watching this lady with her two crazy different personalities that lost her legs. Yeah. She basically pops in and out of her personalities while being rehabilitated and is like cussing out this guy, calling him the H word and just like, uh, man, it's. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, like, even like listening to this, I'm like, King, what are you making me do here? Like, yeah, it's very uncomfortable to listen to Odetta's dialogue. I, I think that or might be it. why a lot of people don't enjoy this book a lot, is because it is just really cringy for a lot of the book. Uh, she's very hard to get through because it's, she's terrible. Yeah, she's vile. I like how Ed even points it out at one point. He's like, it's completely ridiculous the way she talks. Like nobody actually talks like that. <laughs> yeah. She's obviously like making that up like on purpose. Yeah. I think Eddie likes to reference movies and stuff like that. Like, I, I think he's just like, this is a caricature. Like, I don't understand. She talks like a cartoon character. Uh, I think Steve and I listened to this uh, doctor part in the car together while we were on our way down to Jake's house to record an episode. And they had this thing about Idlewild Airport where uh, we were like, is that Idlewild? Like, because he's talking about an accident in Idlewild. And we we're like, is that at the theme park? <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, apparently what they call JFK Airport before JFK was president. Hmm. Okay. I did not know that. I learned that new. So Roland like seizes control and forces her to like run into the changing room and through the door. And there's this cool moment that I know Steve loves where like Odetta and Detta look at each other and Roland like looks at them at the same time. Yeah, and that happens later from the opposite directions, right, uh, in the book. Um, 
and I think that's why Roland expects it to happen. Yeah. Uh, but so that cues Roland into knowing what's going on. But Eddie, when they get back, is still holding a knife to his throat and doesn't understand Odetta's problem. And then Odetta's just like, what are you planning to do with that knife, mister? Yeah. And he's like, oh, fuck. And drops it. <laughs> it's like he got scolded by his mom. And she doesn't believe this at all. You have a quote here, right? Uh, yeah. Jake, do you want to do that? Sure. Where am I? Who pushed me? How can I be here? How can I be dressed for that matter when I was home watching the 12 o'clock news in my robe? Who am I? Where is this? Who are you? So she asks like all the major news article questions. Yeah, this is, yeah, she's pretty. It's interesting that she asks, who am I? That's pretty. Yeah, that one gets me. And Roland is immediately like, something is up. Eddie is too, to his credit, being like in heroin withdrawal. He's pretty sharp. Yeah, they noticed that, you know, the gaps in her memory, the who am I thing, that's weird. Well, uh, she also thinks it's like midnight and it was obviously daytime at Macy's. Yeah. And Roland thinks back to them seeing each other through like the door, right? And realizes that Odetta was surprised to see someone else in her head. Or she was not surprised that Roland was there. That's weird. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, I think it's because of her multiple personality disorder. Right. She's like, she's used to having different people controlling her. But she doesn't she know about the other, other personality. They're not aware of each other, but I think like somewhere deep in her core personality, she knows like what's going on. But I think right. Detta sees Odetta. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then she goes into denial. She's like, none of this is real. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I must be dreaming. I must be in a coma. There's no way you're from 1987. There's no way Ronald Reagan was elected president. That part's pretty funny, huh? Yeah. The She's actor? like the movie actor. <laughs> you gotta be shit, me. So they start going down the beach, right? And she's good for a while. I don't think they get yeah, Detta. Yeah, he's kind of crushing on her a little bit. Uh, Detta starts to like take over more and more later, but like at first it's mostly Odetta, I think. So she tells the story like just to like kill the time, I think, of how uh, the brick fell on her head when she was a child. They were traveling to like New York, uh, Upper New York, I think, somewhere to go to a wedding and give her Aunt Blue a china set as a wedding gift. So that's where we get the like blue plate thing. Which is just confirmation for Roland. Yeah. Uh, and while... They missed a taxi because nobody would pick him up because they were a black family. 
And then, like, as they were walking to the train station, somebody dropped a brick on her head. And creamed his pants. <laughs> That's later. She doesn't know that. And this is where Eddie explains that he is a heroin actor, I think. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember if that's like in a little bit, like whenever they're about to have sex or not. But um, he like explains to her like, yeah, I'm like always going to be a heroin addict. And she's surprised by this because she's like white people are addicted to drugs, too. Hmm. Oh, that's right. Clean. Too white. So she starts getting these... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Jake. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, she starts getting these like bad headaches, which I think are an indicator that like Detta is about to, get, to show up. That and she refuses to eat food. Well, Odetta eats the lobster, I think, but once Data starts taking over is when she doesn't, right? No, I thought they yeah. both refused. Huh. O- Odetta doesn't want to eat it because she thinks she doesn't like it because uh, she had shellfish when she was a kid, and then Data doesn't want to eat it because she thinks that they're going to poison her. Dang. Oh, okay. And then they make up, ex- and then Odetta makes up excuses for why she didn't eat when she comes back. She's like, oh, yeah, I got sick when you fed that to me. crazy it's a lot of um well what's the call when you like make up excuses for stuff um like rationalizing rationalizing yeah no it's like i think it starts with a d like you're like delusional i don't know but like assembling yeah you, you just like Instead of looking at the facts, Odetta is like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and make up this other reason." Denial. Yeah, I mean, it seems like denial. I guess, yeah. That's a river in Africa, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> Good one, Dad. So Roland is very suspicious of her, and I think he tells uh, Eddie three times that he needs to be on his guard. Yeah. And the first time we get Detta, I believe, on the beach is after they went to bed. He said, be on your guard. And she... I have that as a quote up here, actually. Oh, nice, nice. Do you want to do it since you were about to uh, explain it? Sure. We're talking about 21A? Yeah. Cool. This is Roland. Listen, the gunslinger said, and listen carefully. Our lives may depend on it. Mine because I'm getting sick again. And yours, because you have fallen in love with her. I understand very little of this, or how such a thing can be. But you must be on your guard. Do you understand that? Good. Because the woman I entered on the other side of the door was as deadly as those lobster things that come out at night. And then Eddie wasn't on his guard. (laughs) I keep thinking I'm like he's gonna this time he'll do it he'll be on his guard this time (laughs) (laughs) no no this is pretty cool Uh, actually the part that I was thinking of is further down a little bit so like uh, 
this is where we get the the idea that uh, each personality kind of like fills in the blanks where the other personality is taking control with like made up stories, basically. So Detta has like super vivid memories of Roland and Eddie being like really racist and cruel to her. Like she's like, oh, they're like barbecuing flame and yawn over the fire and feeding me like poisoned rancid meat or even, like not even feeding it to me, but like offering it to me and snatching it away when I bite at it. Calling me the N word like constantly. And it's funny because she's like, they keep trying to feed me poison meat, but they like try and feed it to her and then eat it in front of her. Yeah. She's like, that was a trick. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, despite Roland's warning, like we said, Eddie falls asleep and allows Dada to get the drop on him. Roland like sees this coming from a mile away. So he put, he fills his guns up with like spent shell casings instead of live, live rounds. And she like sneaks up beside Eddie and goes to blow his brains out. But the gun just clicks like three times and then she smashes him in the head with the butt. <laughs> what a dingus. Roland's like, I could stop her, but I need her to like leave a welt so that he'll learn his fucking lesson. <laughs> <laughs> then he doesn't. I like this too because we get the we get it from the perspective of Detta first. And yeah. and she looks at Roland and she's like, he stirred a little bit. And she's like, All right, he's asleep. And then we get it from Roland's perspective, and he was like, Oh, she notices me. And he actually it says that he forced himself to sleep. Like he actually did go to sleep for like a brief second. Yeah. Uh, he's like, uh, she would notice if I faked it, so I really did go to sleep. But just for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Wish I had Roland's capabilities. But then he does eventually like jump on her. Well, they this is when they tie her up. Yeah. They're like, okay, we can't afford to like deal with this lady shit anymore. This whole time they're traveling down the beach, right? And pushing her in this wheelchair. Well, I think this is all within the course of like one day so far. Right? Uh, No, I don't think maybe. I thought it was longer than that, but maybe it is the first time. And woke back up. Yeah. So at least like one day. But still, the idea of pushing a wheelchair on this beach sounds fucking miserable. Well, they explain later that it's not like all fine sand. It's kind of like hard pack. Like, this is more like an English beach than like a Caribbean beach, I guess. Sure. There's still points where he has to like carry her, go back at the wheelchair. Yeah. So Roland has like developed this theory that uh, during the point where he pushes her through the door into this other world that Odetta and Detta got a glimpse of each other for the first time and that they're now like aware of each other's existence for the first time because usually uh, the Lady of Shadows would like mask their existence from each other with these false memories that her like core personality I guess is putting in there so she doesn't freak herself out 
But now that they know about each other, Roland is like, the conflict is probably inevitable. And not only that, I should encourage it to happen like any way that I can figure out how to. Because if Odetta wins out, she'll be like a pretty good gunslinger. But if Detta wins out, shit is going to go bad. And he also considers a third possibility that they could join somehow and he'll get like the uh, agreeableness of Odetta, but the like ruthless killer of Detta. Yeah, like tenacity. Yeah. Which is what he really wants for a gunslinger. And this is when Detta starts throwing herself so she can like, <laughs> she'll like hit, hit the brakes and it gets pretty funny at this point. She's just like screaming these like terrible obscenities and like <laughs> whipping her wheelchair Dude. over. So just so they have to like bend over and pick her up again. <laughs> just, yeah. She's the pettiest person in the world. Doing everything she can think of to make them spend one more calorie. Uh, and then that works up to them going to bed and she realizes like, oh, I'll wait for them to go to sleep and then scream. Yeah. Yeah. This, I love this because Roland was like, oh, you think that's, you're going to keep doing that, huh? (laughs) (laughs) That's another Roland quote that I pulled. Nice. I can do this one. So Roland is trying to communicate to Odetta, even though like Detta is in control right now. He's trying to just like speak through to her because he knows that like she's somehow at some level like aware of what's happening, even when she's not in control. So he says, I don't think this bitch would care if she did die on a hard gag. She wants to die, but maybe even more. She wants you to die. But you haven't died, not so far, and I don't think Dada is brand new in your life. She feels too at home in you. So maybe you can hear what I'm saying, and maybe you can keep some control over her, even if you can't come out yet. Dada hates this. <laughs> no, it, work, it works a little, though. He gets through to her, right? She stops screaming. She's, she's, like, terrified by it. Yeah. She, she thinks that she calls him the bad man. Yeah, he's like she feels like he's doing some kind of like magic on her or something. <laughs> yeah, Detta says she's like basically not scared of people except for him. Yeah. So, not only are these guys like exhausted from having to lug Odetta around all day and not getting any sleep because she's screaming all night, but they're starting to like suffer from malnutrition because they're only eating lobster meat and they're not getting like any vitamins or minerals or anything really besides protein. And Roland's infection is kind of starting to come back too. Yeah. Yeah. And Roland realizes like he needs to get to the next door quickly. And I think he even tells like Eddie, like, Hey, I'm, I'm probably down for the count soon. You're going to have to almost go on ahead. You get this really cool part where, uh, like, they wake up in the morning and Dad is like, ha, 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 he's dead. <laughs> and Roland, like, rolls over like, not fucking yet, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first person to make that mistake. 
He's too ordinary to admit that he's dead. And then, like, uh, I think that day later on, we get to the part where uh, they're pushing her along and Detta screams about breaking the blue lady's plate and then passes out and then comes back to consciousness as Odetta. And then Roland just, like, collapses on his feet and the chapter ends. So at this point, Eddie has had sex with her? Yeah, I think so. I okay. forgot to write that down. I'm not sure. It's definitely in there somewhere. That I, I think so. And this is before Eddie gives her the gun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we were going to break this episode up into two parts. Yeah, so that's where we're going to stop for this one. Uh I think we can talk a little bit more, but we're not going to like cover any more of the book. Yeah. The next chapter is reshuffle. Or is that just what you wrote? That is the next chapter. Yeah. Okay. I really like this section like more than I thought I did going back through it. I'm always like excited to read Eddie's part because of the cool gunfight. But then like when I go through this again, I'm like, man, there's some amazing character moments in here. Like the dialogue between all like, uh, three or four of these guys, if you want to count Odetta as two people, <laughs> uh, they have some like great lives to each other, man. It's awesome. Yeah, and it's good to see what kind of a person Roland is while he's at his weakest, that he's yeah. still a pretty strong person. You know, this is trying him to the utmost, and he's still like doing his best to hold it together. Eddie, too. Yeah, there's a lot of parts where Eddie's trying to like step up and protect Roland and he's like, I need to keep going. Yeah, I think at this point, maybe uh, Eddie had been called like he should have joined the uh, debate club because he was just basically trying to convince Odetta of, of certain things. But I think this is the first time I think in the book series where I stepped back and I was like, damn, Roland kind of scares the shit out of me when he was talking about gagging her, because he, he like yeah. he turned stone cold and was like, I'm going to gag you. He's like, it might kill you. It's dangerous as fuck, but like, we're going to die if we don't get sleep. So like, I will do it. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty great line. He's like, don't make me do it, man. I really don't want to, but like, if you force me to, I'll fucking... I have no like issues it. doing that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back. I think next week we're going to do the Godwin trial and then two weeks we'll, uh, from now we'll release the second part of this, huh? Yeah, I think so. Cool. Okay. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, follow us on Twitter. We're at Three Rivers Boys. That's three spelled out, Rivers Boys. I'm Zach. I'm Jake. And I'm Steve. Thanks, guys. You're the realist. I guess I will throw out just on the end here that I'm about to finish uh, the second Hyperion book. So we'll have an episode about that pretty soon, too. Nice. Yeah, definitely. And we need to start doing Lord of the Rings, too. Never heard of cool. <laughs> We're the Rings All right, of Power. Read more books. Love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>